So I do think I forgot somebody, and that was Gretchen Schultz. I don't think I read her name, maybe, for the Bailey's mission team. Brian just prayed for her. She really is part of the team. She's been at all the meetings and participated in everything we were doing, but as we've been praying, she has a brain tumor. She's being treated for that, and um, so she's unable to go on the trip with us. But um, having said that, she's still very much part of the team. We'll be praying for her, and we want all of you to pray for us as we leave. We leave Saturday really early in the morning and then get back the following Saturday even earlier in the morning. And um, so be praying all the next week. Um, we'll probably have Martha in the office send out a list of everybody who's going so you can be praying for people as we are gone on, on the mission trip to Belize. So, um, yeah, we want you to do that. We need your prayers. Um, we continue this sermon series in Proverbs. And um, today I want to start by uh, talking about a poem by Rudyard Kipling. It was written in 1895. It's called If. Um, it's the advice of a father to a son, extolling classical, stoic kind of virtue such as temperance, fidelity, humility, perseverance, and honor, and many other things. And I'm not going to read the, the whole poem. You can look it up for yourself to read it if you like. But I do want to read you the end of it, which says this. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue... Or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch. If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you. If all men count with you, but none too much. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run. Yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And which is more, you'll be a man, my son. The benefits of the if statements in this poem are that the earth is yours and you will become a man, my son. It is, it is a poem, but it's a poem of Proverbs, right? If you can keep these virtues, these wise sayings, your life will go well, is what the poem is extolling, right? And much of it is drawn from biblical wisdom. We don't live in 1895 anymore. That should be pretty obvious, right? And um, I feel like the Proverbs for the modern person vary widely. Like, I'm going to give you a few that don't even get the sampling of all the different things, mottos and Proverbs people would live by today. But here's a few. Express yourself. Your body is a temple. Create worshipers. Literally saw that on a gym door in Dallas. You can do hard things. Or fall down, get up, repeat, kind of CrossFit proverbs. Or ones that I found on Pinterest. What you choose to focus on becomes your reality. Or be yourself because an original is worth more than the copy. Right? There's all kinds of proverbial sayings we have today. Um, I think there's a lot of wisdom in what Kipling wrote for a well-ordered life. What we're about to read is another poem of Proverbs of a saying from a father to a son, of Solomon to a son, of parents to children. He gives wisdom for a well-ordered life, extolling benefits such as peace, a good reputation, being able to stay on course in life, a healthy mind and body, wealth, and discipline. Most of those things, I think, are things that we would want, at least some of today. 
And how would you get them? What produces those benefits, those outcomes? What is the if statement that Solomon is making? Ask yourself that question. What's the if statement? Follow along with me. Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 12. This is the word of God. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. Spirit of God, I pray that you'll bless the reading of your word, and I pray that you will give me clarity as I preach today, and so many different things going through my mind, Lord, I pray that what comes out will be true, clear, and applicable for life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Proverbs are generalizations. They're general statements about the way things will go in life normally. They are not universal statements about how things always go in life constantly in every situation. It's the nature of a proverb. And sometimes it seems like Proverbs stand in opposition to each other. And so you may look at that in the Bible and go, see, this is one of the things I don't like about the Bible. It seems like there's things in opposition to each other. And, and I just want to say, like, there's a long discussion around that we could have. But I want to say we don't raise the same objections for everything else in life. Like, let me give you an example. Here's two Proverbs from modern day life that we don't complain about because we recognize that a proverb is generally true and is Uh, fits in a certain setting and context. So here's a proverb, many hands make light work. It's a good proverb, right? Another modern proverb is too many cooks in the kitchen. Well, which is it? Many hands or too many? Those seem to be in opposition, right? But they're not. It's a proverb for a general thing applied in life and it usually fits in those situations. It's important you understand proverbs like that. As we look at these Proverbs then, they are Proverbs, wisdom given by God that are true and are good for us to remember and remember them in the setting in which they're given, of course. In, in Kipling's poetic form, what's the if statement that Solomon reveals? Because he doesn't use the word if like Kipling did, right? But what is he saying? What Solomon is saying is this. He's saying, if you trust the Lord and pursue the Lord then it will lead to beneficial outcomes. And he lists the outcomes. But his if statement is if you trust the Lord and pursue the Lord. I mean, the first verses make it clear here that this instruction is given by Solomon um, to his son, from a father to a son or parents to kids, so that life will go well with them. The first few verses make that really clear. What I want to do is look at some of the beneficial outcomes that are listed here 
beneficial outcomes of a life that is ordered by God with him at the core of your heart. Now, on each one of these things, I could preach a sermon on each one of these things, and I'm trying to not be tempted to do that and try to keep it brief. We'll see if that works. Um, But the first one is this, the first benefit. One of the benefits that's listed here in verse 4 is the benefit of making a name for yourself. He says in verse 4, he says, uh, so you will find favor and good success or a good name, it might say in your version, in the sight of God and man. Who doesn't want a good name, right? But the principle here of the proverb is, if you want legacy of a name, then learn fidelity. Because that's what verse 3 tells us, right? Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. That's the fidelity so that then the legacy that comes about from that, okay? And what he says here is you should bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Those are active verbs, right? Like make a necklace and tie it around. Write it on your heart. Justin Early, who has spoken here before, has written some books. One of the books is called Habits of the Household, was asked um, how he finds the inspiration to keep writing. And his answer was he doesn't. He said, well, I don't. I don't find the inspiration to keep writing. I make it a habit, a discipline. Every day I write a little bit. Sometimes the words seem to flow. Other times they struggle. But in that habit of doing that is where in that process comes inspiration to write what I write for the books. Um, And so that's what motivates or inspires him to keep going. But it's the discipline of doing it that has a powerful shaping factor of having something written from his heart. You and I have to make the habit of knowing God's commands like a necklace, like it's always here. I mean, some of you wear necklaces that remind you of that, right? Like something that's put on paper, but more than just put on paper because he says written on your heart. It has to be internalized, put inside of you, to the core of your being, to your heart. The Bible's way of talking about the very core of one's being is to say the heart, not the, not the muscle we think of that pumps, but the heart is the very the seed of, of man, the core of his being. You and I have to make that habit to do that. And as you do that, you may well find inspiration from God to go on and to carry forward, right? If you're one of the people who just says, I don't feel very inspired today to do anything. I don't know, I'll just wait till God moves me to do something. But you're not going through the discipline of reading and studying and looking at what God tells you to do. That may be the problem. Going through the discipline of reading and looking, and some days you're like, I don't know. I don't think I got anything out of that. Okay. But the next day you're like, man, that really struck me. Or it comes back to you later in the day. I remember what I read or prayed about then. And God has a way of using your habits then to sink them into you to recall the word that you are putting in you. It's why parents... And why we're told to meditate, to memorize. Why parents should have their children memorize Scripture. But the other part of this verse that's fascinating, I think, is the words in verse 3, where it says, steadfast love and faithfulness. Those are common Hebrew expressions uh, expressing the covenant faithfulness of the Lord. And, and I'll, I'll admit that I'm not entirely sure about this proverb, which way it's going. This is one of the great things about Proverbs. is like you think you got it, and then you're like, ooh, wait a second. If I think about it this way, maybe the proverb means this. That's the beauty of a proverb. It makes you have to wrestle with it. 
and understand it. But this proverb can be cutting both ways in a sense. It can be saying, like we just said, you've got to make it your point of fidelity to make it a habit of reading and knowing God's word and having it in your heart. Okay, yeah, it can be. It certainly is active in that sense, the words are. But also it says, um, it says that it's interesting, let not steadfast love forsake you. It's in a passive kind of way it's spoken about, which is interesting. The reason I'm saying all this is because if we look at those words, steadfast love and faithfulness in Scripture, they appear over and over again. Most often, speaking of God himself. Let me give you examples of this. In Exodus 34, verses 6 through 9, you can put these verses on the screen. This is right after Moses has been given the Ten Commandments. He's gone down. They, he sees them, and they built a golden calf. I don't know if you remember this. He gets so mad, he smashes the Ten Commandments. He goes back up the mountain. This is when he's getting the second version of the same words, second Ten Commandments, okay, to go back down to the people. So they've just committed idolatry with a calf. This is what the Lord says to Moses up on the mountain. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Same word Solomon uses. Keeping steadfast love for thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and sin and take us for your inheritance. Or let me give you another example. Jonah, verses, chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. You may remember Jonah, the prophet who gets swallowed by the great fish. He doesn't want to tell Nineveh about the good news that God will forgive them. He does tell Nineveh. They repent. Jonah's mad and says, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And what does he say about the Lord? And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. <coughs> you see those words that are being used and repeated there are the words expressing the very nature and heart of God. So part of the wisdom of this is to say that when you want to have this legacy, one of the legacies you need to know is to know the steadfastness, the love, and the faithfulness of God. And when you read his commands, when you put them around your neck, when you sink them into your heart, that's what you get. Yes, I should follow the laws of God. But what I know is that God is steadfast in his love and his mercy. The next thing I want to look at is the benefit that we see in verse, uh, verses 5 and 6. Uh, the benefit in verse 6 is the benefit of finding the right path in life. Of finding the right path in life. I guess I would say this this way. This would be the modern thing like, yeah, I need to find my way, find my path in life. And I think this proverb is saying is if, if you want direction, learn subordination. I don't like that one. And that's not very modern. Because the modern people do the opposite. 
I'm going to find my own way. I'm going to determine my reality, define my identity. You can't tell me what to do, et cetera, et cetera. But what's being said in this proverb is that your true identity is not defined by you, but is discovered as you understand who God made you to be. That's why it says, lean not on your own understanding. Right? Lean not on your own understanding. Submit yourself, is what it's saying, to God, um, and he will make your paths straight. Or in, in all your ways, acknowledge him. The NIV says, submit to him. Is that acknowledging is coming underneath the, the, of the authority of, right? Learning from. As Jake talked about last week, you have to locate yourself in right relation to God, which requires humility. So we did the trust fall, and this is why. <laughs> because when you have to lean on God, to trust and to lean are very active words. Very active words. It's more than just having the right set of beliefs. Oh, I know this to be true. It involves your behavior. When I stood here and I asked Ava, I said, do you believe that they can catch you? She was uncertain. Now, she, she also knew in theory there was eight of them. Yeah, they could, but will they? That was a trust issue, right? In theory, sure, they can all catch her. But will they? Well, I don't know. You're going to have to find out. And trust and leaning is when you fall into the arms of. And what is being said in this proverb is saying, okay, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean. Throw yourself onto him and his understanding, not your own. And that's what will give you direction in life. That's what will give you your moral compass. That's what will get you going the way you need to go. That's what he's saying. COVID changed the course of path for many people who got out of the habit of being part of a regular gathering of the church. And for many different reasons, I understand that. I know some still have to be very careful depending on health considerations that, that they have. But many people um, adopted, including those who have health considerations, adopted new habits, right? Because the habits form fairly easily. You do something for a month or so, you can form a habit, right? You want to quit drinking coffee? Stop for a month. You'll probably be pretty good. You want to start working out? Takes a good 21 days. That's why all New Year's resolutions are broken by the last week of January and the gym's clear out and you're free to get space again because people didn't stick with it long enough, right? And so COVID formed new habits for people. I recently spoke with a family um, some, some good friends who got out of the habit of going to church during COVID. Just right, stopped for a while and they got out of the habit and, um, and they talked about how difficult it was to re-engage. Because they're like, for almost two years, we formed a habit of like sitting on the couch and clicking on the TV. Now we have to like get up and plan ahead and get dressed and like show up and like, it was really hard. They were saying, like, we had to really think about it. Do we want to do this? And they knew deep down, like, we need to do this. And experientially, they felt the loss. They knew they needed it to be around people. But to do the action, the trusting, the falling, the leaning was difficult. But they started doing it. And it took three or four months of going again 
to kind of get in the rhythm of the habit and rebuilding and reconnecting with people. Now, I I say that partly because, yes, I'm glad you're here and I want to encourage you to be coming to church. Or if you're watching live stream, I really do want to encourage you to come in person. But also recognizing that it's because that's what you have to do is you have to lean and trust, whether it's coming to church, whether it's trusting God with your life, with your health, with your finances, with all the other things that are going to come out of this. You have to lean and trust. A third thing here, a third benefit, right? So we had the benefit of, of, uh, of finding the right path there. Now the benefit of being healthy in mind and body, which is talked about in verse 8. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Um, it even might say medicine to your bones. And so it's talking about the benefit of healing. And if you want the benefit of healing, if you want vitality of life, it's saying you need to learn morality. You're like, what? Where does it say that? Well, in the verse right before it, in verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord, turn away from evil. Turn away from evil. Right? Why? Because evil is destructive to your health. How do we know this? Because sin always leads to destruction of body, mind, and soul. It might be rapid destruction or death by a thousand paper cuts, but Satan's temptation and mankind's sin in the garden in Genesis uh, 3 results in death. Sin leads to chaos, disorder, against God's good design. And so if you want, in general, health, it's good to have your morality right, knowing what has God designed me to be as a person, as a being, for where my morality should be. And if I live in that way, it should generally make life better for me. Now, again, it's generalization. It doesn't mean that a drunk driver won't hit your car and you suffer tragedy, right? But overall, your life will be in better health when you obey God's laws because he knows how he designed you. That's the way it's meant to work. And it's hard to believe that, right? But I want to make up my own laws. I want to do my own things. The people wanted to worship their own golden calf and God is saying, no, worship God alone. Honor your parents. Kids, honoring your parents. Kids. Kids. You're supposed to honor your parents. It's one of the Ten Commandments. You're like, I know they tell me that all the time. And you think, but I don't want to. But the way for you to be healthy in life and body and to learn wisdom is to respect your parents and go, okay, I'm going to do it even though I don't understand it. And there's going to come this point in time, most normally for most of you, where you're going to get to a point through high school probably through college, and you're going to be adulting on your own when you're paying all your own bills. We don't get a free cell phone or a free car anymore. When you're out of college vacation and you actually have to work for a living, and you're going to go, oh yeah, they were right. They're not as dumb as I thought. I remember doing that for my parents. It was a glorious day when one of my kids said that to me. Because there's so many days parents feel like, they don't listen to anything I say. But kids, it's true. Listen to them. doesn't mean your parents are always right. They're going to be wrong. They're human too. They're going to sin. They need to apologize to you at times for doing things wrong. 
but listen to them. God gave them to you for a reason. The other Ten Commandments, right? Think of the laws. Don't steal. Yeah, life generally goes better if you don't steal from people. You avoid jail and fights. Don't murder. Do I need to explain that? Don't lie. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet other people's stuff. Right? Life generally works better and you are healthy and more happy and satisfied mentally and physically if you live according to those ways. Moving along. Go to the next verse down. Verse 10. The next benefit he talks about is the benefit of wealth so that you have enough. This is what we all want. I just want to have enough, right? And by enough, we usually mean more than enough so that I don't have to worry about things. Now, that can change all the time, but the principle here is if you want prosperity, learn generosity. Like, what? Yeah, look. That's what it says. Look at verse 10. In verse 10, it says, your barns will be filled with plenty, your vats will be bursting with wine, or the NIV says overflowing, right? That's the whole point overflowing. That's, that's, the, that's the wealth that you have. You have enough. And the, the verse before that that states the, the if, the condition is honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. In other words, he's saying give the tithe, the first tenth of everything to God. And when you do that, then your barns will be filled with plenty. You might be like, I don't know, I did that. My barn's not overflowing. Proverb is not written as a quid pro quo with this for that. Like, okay, God, I just threw 20 in the basket. I'm going to see if there's a 20 in my mailbox when I get home. It's not that kind of thing, okay? The kind of thing that God is saying is it will reshape your whole outlook. It'll reshape your whole outlook because what will happen is you will... Um, you will start seeing the stuff that you have is not your stuff, but God, what he's provided for you. And if you start giving and are generous in that way, then what will happen is your focus starts to become on how can I help others and not only about me and all the pleasure I can get out of life. And that generally makes you a more joyful and happy person than grumpy and bitter and cynical person. And so the shift of doing that is a thing in which you do that and God takes care of you in that. And you realize, you know what? I didn't need all that. Now I have to be really careful about what I spend. I don't want to go into debt. But notice here the first priority wasn't get out of debt. It was give. Getting out of debt's important. But to give. And, um, and then that changes you and shapes you so that you're like, okay. All right, I have enough because I've learned to trust God and that what he gives me is enough. I may not have as much as the person down the street, but I have enough. God's taken care of me. He supplied my needs. There will be wealth for me, health, right, in this way. I've heard more than a couple of our deacons talk about how much they enjoy giving. And they talk about giving um, as it simply brings them joy. Not to have their name attached to it. It's not about that. The joy comes from knowing that somebody else has helped. And when somebody else has helped, they're just like, I just delight in that. I love that. And they've stated that God has always provided for them. Even saying, I can't outgive God. I, the more I give to help people, I'm still fine. I still have what I need. Somehow, God brings it back to them. Over the course of their life, over years, looking back and being blessed, and the way God's provided job changes or work or different things that have happened that they wouldn't have foreseen, that they wouldn't have planned on. So not a 
quid pro quo kind of way, but like God has really supplied my needs and taken care of me. And so if you want to find real prosperity in life, learn to be generous. The last thing we're talking about today is the benefit of love. And this is if you want to delight, if you want the delight of love, of knowing you're loved, then do not make light of discipline. This is right in the last two verses where it says that. Saying, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Notice, loves and delights. You want love and delight? You got to be willing to accept correction and discipline too. I once coached a, well, not once, for decades I coached soccer teams and uh but one of the times I was coaching there was a boy on a soccer team who came up to me at one time I can't remember if it was before or after practice and said um that his parents really don't care what he does so yeah they just don't care what I do and he didn't say it in a way from a perspective of man I have all the freedom and it's awesome but kind of from the perspective of having all the freedom and realizing that there was things lacking and he didn't get some support structures he needed, his tone and his expression was communicating to me that he wished his parents cared enough to actually give him some structure and support. You hear that? They don't care. I wish they cared enough to do that. Right? Correction and discipline is a sign of actually caring for, loving something. You care what happens to it, to the person. Kids, your parents are giving you rules and structure to give you a solid foundation. They're for a reason. One day you're going to be deciding what to do, but for now, listen to your parents. When they correct you, it's not just so they can prove they were right, though that is a delicious temptation to be like, I told you I was right. The underlying foundation as a parent is because I love you. I love you. I want what's good for you. It's true for God, too. God gives correction, says, no, you're going the wrong way. He gives discipline, but he does it as a father who delights in his children, who loves them. Let me give you this verse, Zephaniah 3, 16 and 17. This prophet writes and talks about the day of the Lord when when he's going to rescue Jerusalem and all will be well. He says, on that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. It's the picture of one who delights over his children, rejoices in them. But they've been through correction, and the prophet is saying, but the day comes when you will hear your God singing over you, rejoicing in you. You can shape your life with stoic, classical virtues, and it will be good for you uh, and helpful for society. I would appreciate all of that very much. But what Proverbs does is goes a little bit beyond that. As Jake was showing us last week, biblical wisdom is personified. It's not just an idea. It's not just a virtue. Biblical wisdom is personified, saying knowing, trusting, following, pursuing the person behind the virtue, where the virtue comes from, 
So wisdom finds the original because the original actually is better than the copy, as the modern proverb says. But you're not the original. God's the original, and he has made you. He is the incomparable creator of the world, the author of life, the conqueror of death, the victor over evil. Knowing, trusting, and having that one on your side is the wisest move you will ever make. You want wisdom? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on him. Fall onto his arms. Let him be the one that holds you, saves you, guides you, and shapes you. Maybe today is the day you decide to do that, that you need more than just virtue. You need new life to become a new creation. I invite you to do that today. And maybe most of you are already there, right? And, but you're like, yeah, but I need wisdom. Then the same thing, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Pray and ask him for wisdom for the challenge that you face this week, this month in your life. Pray with me. Father, we do pray for wisdom that you give as a father who delights in his children, who showers love upon us, would you help us to see the benefits and beauty of virtue, of the virtues you have put before us in these Proverbs, and how that actually shapes our life for the good. Will you help us to not think we always know what's best, to finding our own way that is right, but to learn from you in your ways and to lean on your arms. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The ushers are going to